Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and across from me is Charles Chuck Too Tall Unstuck Thompson, coming in at 6-7 and three quarters five eighths five eighths i I was giving you i was being generous you know five eighths is i want to set the record straight okay okay that's fine that's all of this i'm I'm tired of this tall gate nonsense that's been going on for months how's it going today man i can't believe you didn't give yourself a nickname i know like nate crocodile thurston i feel like it's uh, you know it's never cool to give yourself a nickname yeah and so i don't say a nickname when I, when I get, okay. So for everyone not watching, you should go watch this on YouTube because it is worth, it's worth a Google. Let me tell you what I am wearing some type. What kind of hat would you call this? Is it a cat? It's not a cowboy hat. It's Cause a, it's like a, I mean, I don't know. It's more of a thunder from down under hat. Yeah. Something like what that. I would say. I Crocodile don't know Dundee. I knew I was going to wear that's a hat the, By the way, that's the, like the Australian strip club in Vegas, if you didn't know. <laughs> I'm wearing Male. my yard work hat today. My wife hates it. Oh, this it is what you wear for yard work. Yeah. And I, my wife hates it when I wear this for obvious reasons. So you wear it every day. I wear it all the time. <laughs> and so when I left today, I knew I was going to wear a hat and I saw this hat and I was like, you know what? Let's, you know, it's been a little heavy in the group. Let's br- let's bring a hat. And you let's know what? Costco, into this. Costco from the live group is right. He said it's awesome. People need to see it, and you do, which you can by subscribing on YouTube. Wow. Well, Go to YouTube and search up Good Morning Liberties. Just Liberty, actually, not Liberties. Good Morning <laughs> Liberty. Just go up there and search it and uh, watch the video. You'll be able to see Nate in his, uh, his croc hat. Yeah. That's what I'll call it. It's and a croc the- hat. And if you can, we'll watch have out to- for the stingrays. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard they'll get you. Yeah, uh, from the great fable that my family has passed down from from generation to generation, stay the f away from those stingrays. Just don't do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So we'll have Tri- to trickle D said that's too soon. Too soon. Still it's too soon. Ten years ago, but too soon. Uh, I do miss him though. He was he was a good guy. Old what do you Steve, think he'd be Steve saying Irwin. about what's going on in Australia? <laughs> Cranky. Oh, <laughs> Cranky. That's what he'd be saying. What the hell's going on with them American? F- Oh no! In, in Australia, no, in Australia, he'd be like, "Crikey, come find me!" Uh, something. It, I'm worried he would be like a big, uh, like mandate a- advocate for some reason. Probably, I don't know why, because they pay know, him. Probably some kind of green environmentalist nut job down there. And as Jeff said, it's a lot better than if I were wearing the hat. So you, um, <laughs> maybe I'll put it on for another show. That way you can check that out. And it's way better if Nate's doing it. So go, yep. go do that. Like Subscribe. <laughs> To YouTube, 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 and also uh, follow on your favorite podcasting app, whichever one you're listening to right now. Hit that follow button. This is Good Morning Liberty, a place where we talk about life, liberty, the pursuit of meaning, and whatever the hell we want. That's emphasis so on the last part. If you're into that, yeah. well, you're in the right spot. Well, uh, we'll have to try and take something seriously here for a minute. But this article here from the Washington Post. I don't take anything seriously. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we got some supply chain problems. There's some shortages around, you know. And I, it, so I, I try to like... Not oh, just I'm, some, by the way. It's I'll a lot. Just, 
Last night, I'm thinking, I'll just get away from all this, and I'm going to go meet my wife at the grocery store. We're going to go walk around. And at the grocery store the whole time, I'm just stressed as hell because I see all of the empty shelves. And of course, I'm just applying politics to my entire trip around the grocery store. The prices have gone up like crazy. They're out of all sorts of stuff that we were looking for. And I realized while I was there that I'd maybe have some gratitude for the fact that this is outside of the norm, I guess, for the U.S. We don't normally have to put up with this. But the Washington Post took the step further. Um, Don't rant about short staff stores and supply chain woes. They think that we, our coddled American A's, just need to get over this stuff, Mm -hmm. okay, and lower our expectations. So from the Washington Post, for more than a century, business experts have been trying to dial up the U.S.'s efficiency. And of course, they're going to blame this on business experts dialing up the U.S.'s efficiency. Yeah. And that's what the uh, issue is. Uh, ever since Frederick Taylor published The Principles of Scientific Management in 1911, companies have focused on doing things more quickly and raising consumers' expectations as a result. Oh, no. Oh, God, that's terrible. That's terrible. But Taylor's ideas didn't take into account the havoc a pandemic might do to supply chains. Yeah, it's the pandemic and, or, that wreaked the havoc. Or the... Uh, the regulatory response to a pandemic could possibly be the other side mm-hmm. of it. And how that would blunt what a few months ago seemed like a looming resumption of modern day daily life's zippy pace. Zippy. Things aren't quite as zippy as they used to be. That's our issue. Across the country, Americans' expectations of speedy service and easy access to consumer products have been crushed by a, like a styrofoam container in a trash compactor. Time for some new, more realistic expectations. Fast food is less fast. A huge flotilla of container ships is stuck offshore in California waiting to unload. Shelves normally stocked with Halloween candy this time of year are empty. The issue has become so troublesome with alarming economic and political ramifications that the White House is stepping in, urging unions, port operators, and big consumer goods companies to work around the clock because the consumer goods companies needed the White House to urge them to work around the clock to be able to sell any products. Exactly. That's exactly what they needed. And what they're doing is like, hey, we're going to lift these regulations mm-hmm. so that you can do what you need to do. Never forget, folks, that what they did at the beginning of this pandemic was they, lift, they lifted a lot of regulations yeah. so that health healthcare uh, companies could operate and do things uh, underneath or let's say uh, in between. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the red lines. Yeah. And they had permission. Another interesting thing we've seen is a lot of big companies, they're waiting for these shipping containers to come in on the West coast. They've been chartering flights to other countries to pick up goods and just bring them directly back. Now they've ran into some other problems when it comes to rail lines and stuff like that. But we've seen companies like Walmart decide that they're going to send cargo planes over to other countries and pick up goods because they need to actually have some goods because they can't make any money if they can't sell anything. Mm-hmm. So you don't need the White House to incentivize them to find ways to get products on the shelves. Okay, continuing on, and this does go down the Bernie Sanders too many brands of toothpaste issue, which is a nor- which is something that you you have to get this idea across when you are thinking on the collectivist socialist mindset because you're going to have shortages. You're you're going to have empty shelves. And the main problem is that your expectations are too high. And you need to lower those. And of mm. course you need people to be okay with that so they don't revolt against you. So you got to make sure people have the proper expectations. American consumers their expectations pampered and catered to for decades are not accustomed to inconvenience. Also, um, 
also expectations from the rest of the world, considering a lot of people still want to be in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, that this is like a bad thing. Their expectations have been catered to for, dec- for decades. Mm. You freaking American consumers out there, which is everyone, by the way. Uh, hardly anyone listening to this podcast uh, takes care of every single thing that they need in their backyard. Actually, if you listen to this podcast, I know you don't because you didn't build your own freaking phone. So quit saying that you did. Okay? Right. <laughs> For generations, American shoppers have been trained to be nightmares. Amanda Mole wrote in, the August, in August in the Atlantic, before the supply chain problem turned truly ugly, the pandemic has shown just how desperately the consumer class clings to the feeling of being served. <laughs> The pandemic has shown just how desperately the consumer class, which is everyone, clings to the feeling of being served. You want these people running everything? Literally, this is the mindset that has to take hold. These terrible people that depend on us for all of their things. Here they are desperately (sighs) clinging to the idea that we are supposed to get things to them. Oh, (laughs) greedy SOBs they are. Terrible. Consumers, the consumer's persistent whine, why don't they just hire more people, sounds feeble in this era of the great resignation, especially in industries such as food service with reputations for being tough places to work. You shouldn't, (laughs) you shouldn't hope that they would hire more people. We're in the, everyone's quitting their jobs because food places are tough places to work at. That's right. Come on. Rather than living constantly on the verge of throwing a fit, and risking taking it out on overwhelmed servers, struggling shop owners, or late-arriving delivery people, we do ourselves a favor by consciously lowering expectations. I don't know where you live, but in Ann Arbor, the luxury of blithely tapping on a phone. Is that what that is? Yeah. Tapping on a phone. and Blithely. 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 Uh, that works. Tapping on a phone <laughs> and summoning a restaurant delivery that arrives in 45 minutes is over. It's over, folks. There's a shortage of food delivery drivers nationwide. The sanity-preserving move is to assume an hour and a half for delivery, and then a mere hour and 10 minutes is a pleasant surprise. Just lower your expectations, okay? Now, I understand this idea for, oh, like, a little bit. We're going through this for a little bit. Everyone needs to lower your expectations just a little bit because... If you don't, you're just going to go insane over the next couple months. This is what it's going to be like. So there's like a practical application for lowering your expectations so you don't lose your mind and you don't get depressed about them not having the proper brand of popcorn that you were wanting. Uh, But a long-term mindset, I don't know. I understand people are getting frustrated, but it's time for people to take a chill pill, says Lisa McDonald, owner of Tejas. An Ann Arbor shop selling tea and gifts. I'm just not going to have the things that I usually have. Maybe they aren't going to get the purple mug, but the blue one is pretty too. And so we don't have to, oh, they they also go in there. The other day I found myself carrying home a loaf of bread. This goes well with the socialistic mindset here. Bread lines. The other day I found myself carrying home a loaf of bread in my bare hands because the bakery had run out of bags. Back when we didn't know how good we had it in 2019, I might have been annoyed by the inconvenience. Now I was just glad the bakery was still in business. And thus, that is what we have moved from. from. I, I want to say two things, which is we should be grateful. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Um, we should be grateful that we are still able to get our food delivered, let's say in an hour and a half, as opposed to 45 minutes. Like that's still a really cool service. Now, the other thing I want to say is 
there's never been a better time to start a business <laughs> than right now because the bar for customer service is so low and oh, yeah, non-existent, so low that you could just open up anything you wanted to and just give a little bit of customer service. Just, uh, you know, try to make the experience a little bit better for the customer and, uh, and you would win. You would win every time. Just pretend that your customers matter a little bit and you would win. Right. Exactly. And uh, the thing about it is, is you, uh, as a business owner, you should want to exceed expectations, right? If I expect my delivery to be in 30 or 45 minutes, so hopefully it gets there in 20. Well, and be that, like, wow, this company's so fast. That whole idea is why we have this standard of living that we have. If we have lower than current expectations, then there's no incentive in the market for things to get better. If everyone decides that, oh, well, you know, we don't need those different brands of things or we don't need our food in 45 minutes or whatever, then none of the businesses have incentive to really get better other than trying to beat out their competition and give a little bit better service. But why would they when everyone only expects whatever is worse than what they're currently getting? Hmm. You know, so you're taking away the entire that this literally positions consumers, the consumer class, which is these people, everyone, everyone is a consumer. Unless you have created everything, including building your phone and all the towers that are connecting it right now, you're a consumer of some sort, all right? And they're literally positioning them as these greedy, terrible, complaining, whining people that just don't realize how good they've had it over this time and that they need to lower their expectations. I just see that as a little bit of a red flag when it comes to the direction we're headed right now. I don't know. I, I don't know. Hey, yeah, call, me, call me crazy. And they're setting it up for uh, what they really want, yeah. which is like, hey, this is going to be a, a norm in society. Mm -hmm. So you might as well just get used to it, folks. Yeah. And because it, it doesn't even have to be that that's what they want. It's just what it's just what happens when they control everything. Like we're right now we're dealing with like you think a ship that's full of goods can just leave China and then come in and then Walmart just backs their trucks up to it. They fill it up with stuff and then they take it to Walmart. You guys think the process looks like that at all? You know, what's in the middle of that entire process? Probably a whole lot of regulations and red tape mm -hmm. involved with that. And then you've also got the union slowing things down as well, where they set the limits on how many hours people can work. Of course, you have a right to only work this many hours. And then they, they set limits on automation. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. actually negotiated that in their contract to mm -hmm. limit automation. They do things that destroy their competition through all the different laws or anti uh, right to work laws where people who don't have unions could be out there doing this. So now the unions have their grasp on it. And of course, they've got a good negotiating position right now. You have Somali pirates. Mm, that's the there. biggest issue we have. Yeah. Pirates. Tom Hanks showed us that one. Uh huh. Uh huh. No? So anyway. Listen, I was just listening to all the reasons. <laughs> Every single <laughs> hurricanes. Dang it, I was about to say that. <laughs> ah. Okay, as we're both trying to think of other reasons right now. Okay, go on. But you're right. It's mainly, it's mainly, as we talked about this from the very beginning of this pandemic, it's mainly regulations. Mm -hmm. It's mainly, you know, this article talks about how it was, you know, the pandemic. No one knew that all these efficiencies we created, what a pandemic would do. To them, no, it's it's all the regulations. Because if it were truly a free market, we would still be able to get everything to everyone that they needed, um, for the most part. Yeah, they're not dealing with this because all their workers died. Right, that's, exactly. That's not what they're dealing with. 
So like when you say a pandemic, that's what you would mean. Like, oh, too many people died last yeah. year. We're not able to do that. And uh, that's not, it's not that all they of They didn't lose half the workforce of the shipping container folks. No. They didn't lose, or the port folks, whatever you want to call them. They didn't lose half of their workers, and that's why this is happening. Mm. Not at all. <clears throat> so, no. anyway. Anyway, you uh, guys need to be more um, grateful. You yeah. Just turn it down. Inconsiderate. Turn down your expectations. Inconsiderate. Expecting consumers. Inconsiderate. But again, I, you should still be grateful. <laughs> Two things. It's not White Pill Wednesday yet, but I'm yeah. just saying you should, you should be grateful. All right. <clears throat> From NBC News. Now, Nate, you have a note in here, and I'm the same way. I don't really care about statues either. No. You know, like statues to me aren't a, a big deal. Um, I think it is, it's neat um, to see replicas of people. Uh, especially like when I went to Italy, the, you know, the Renaissance art was neat to see the the pictures and the sculptures and stuff <clears throat> that really famous, amazing artists did. Um, so all that's pretty cool. Uh, but from NBC News, the Thomas Jefferson statue, old TJ himself, is to be removed from New York City Hall. Mm. So statue of Thomas Jefferson that stands over New York City Hall's council chamber will be removed after a city commission vote Monday. The New York City Public Design Commission voted unanimously to move. Could you imagine being one person that's like, nah. <laughs> they voted unanimously to move the statue to a public location yet to be determined before the end of the year. Efforts to remove the statue uh, of, the pre of the third president who owned about 130 slaves when he died in 1826 were renewed during the nationwide racial reckoning that followed the police murder of Joy Floyd in Minneapolis last year. Asked about the statue Thursday at his daily news briefing, de Blasio said he understood why Jefferson's history as a slave owner profoundly bothers people and why they find it's something they, that can't be ignored. City Council Speaker Corey Johnson spearheaded the effort to remove the statue in the summer of 2020 with a letter to de Blasio. Johnson wrote that he and black Latino and Asian members of the city council find it inappropriate. There are disturbing images of divisiveness and racism in our city that need to be revisited immediately. That starts with city hall council member. Another council member said Jefferson enacted some of the first removal measures against Native Americans contributing to the ethnic cleansing and genocidal replacement of indigenous people. We are not being revisionist. We are not waging a war on history. We are saying that we want to make sure that the total story is told and there are no half truths and that are, we are not perpetrating lies. So, yeah, it's a, so the only, you know, the main reason I wanted to put this in here was, um, it's not that I care about the statue at all. It's really what the removal of the statue is saying or signaling. It's not mm -hmm. that like they hate the state, you know, they hate government. This person instituted the tyrannical government, you know, we don't like him or anything like that. It's not done on any type of principles like that. It's done on Jefferson, the fact that he had slaves. Now that's a blemish on the old CV. If you ever have one, mm -hmm. having slaves, it is, is a bad one for sure. It's still morally completely <clears throat> wrong. Yeah. But what I wonder is what they would think, like if everyone sat down and they, they just lowered their voices and calmed down a little bit. And they knew some of the nuanced history of what Jefferson thought about slavery. 
or the things that he tried to do. Do you think anyone knows any of the stuff like what's right out, like what's, what's right after that article there? If you want to read it or I can read it if you want to. Okay. So some history. Mm-hmm. Jefferson included a clause in his initial draft of the Declaration of Independence denouncing George III for forcing the slave trade onto the American colonies. This was deleted from the final version. In 1778, with Jefferson's leadership, slave importation was banned in Virginia, one of the first jurisdictions worldwide to do so. Jefferson was a lifelong advocate of ending the Atlantic slave trade and, and as president led the effort to make it illegal, signing a law that passed Congress in 1807, shortly before Britain passed a similar law. In 1779, as a practical solution, Jefferson supported gradual emancipation, training and colonization of African-American slaves rather than immediate manumission. I guess I've never seen that before. Believing that releasing unprepared persons with no place to go and no means to support themselves would only bring them misfortune. Now, that's Um, not a very principled stance. No. And I mean, we can we can admit that. That's Um, bad. On March 1st, 1784, in defiance of Southern Slave Society, Jefferson submitted a plan of government for the Western Territory. The provision would have prohibited slavery in all new states carved out of the Western Territory, ceded to the national government established under the Articles of Confederation. Slavery would have been prohibited extensively in both the North and South Territories, including what would become Alabama, Mississippi, and Tennessee. In 1784, ordinance would have prohibited slavery completely by 1800 in all territories, but was rejected by the Congress by one vote due to an absent representative from New Jersey. Now, that stop right there for a second. There was a, in 1784, they had a vote that would have prohibited slavery completely by 1800, and it was rejected by Congress by one vote, and it's because a representative wasn't there. Can you imagine just how close they came right there in 17? 17- 84 to outlaw in slavery. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? That is pretty nuts. One, one person didn't, didn't show do his up. job. One person probably has probably, probably had a flat horse. It's needed. The horse lost the shoe. They did fix a flat. Yeah. First. Yeah. <laughs> in 1786, Jefferson bitterly remarked the voice quote, the voice of a single individual of the state, which was divided or of one of those which were of the negative would have prevented this abominable crime, abominable crime from spreading itself over the new country. Thus, we see the fate of millions unborn hanging on the tongue of one man and heaven was silent in that awful moment. Jefferson's ordinance of 1784 did influence the ordinance of 1787 that prohibited slavery in the Northwest territory. So, so I'm saying just a little bit of nuanced history right there. Like, mm-hmm. obviously not perfect. He had slaves. Yeah. He had slaves. Now, uh, uh, Joe pointed out that he inherited, he originally inherited the slaves. He inherited 52 or 53 slaves, something like that. He did, um, he did buy a lot more slaves afterwards. So, but he did start off by inheriting from his father and he did free some slaves when he died in his will. Not all of them though. He sold 130 that weren't freed when he died. So he did free some, and then there were some that escaped that he didn't do anything to go get them. Like they weren't free, but he didn't try to get them. Now that's not a pass for like any like ownership of humans, you know, but I was just wondering, there's just like a little bit of nuance to the fact that he maybe didn't like slavery that much. Like when I imagine he's probably not this good, but I imagine him a little bit more of Mel Gibson and the Patriot kind of thing. Like he's got, you know, 
They're not slaves. He was a good slave owner. Yeah. Is that what you're trying to say? No, I'm just, so imagine if you envisioned him as like, and I'm not, this is not excusing anything that he did at all. I'm just talking about, would that change anyone's minds of how much they hated Thomas Jefferson if they saw that he was potentially Mel Gibson and the Patriot versus some other terrible slave owner that you thought Mm -hmm. of? Like, you know, that, and I'm not even saying he was as good as, as, as Mel Gibson and the Patriot. He might've been like Mel Gibson and, Braveheart towards the towards the slaves. I don't know. Not his actual character towards him. I'm just saying mm-hmm. the strength and brutality that he had from the one time I saw that movie. And the only thing that uh, the thing that bothers me from this is um what is so what does it say about things that Thomas Jefferson wrote? You know? You can't have a statue up of, you know, like the founding father of the country. The actual the actual author. Now, this of is, the founding documents. This is craziness, but is the Constitution, does that need to be removed from the Smithsonian or wherever it is? You know, well, this it was is, written by a racist that had slaves. This is, this is where the, that old, old saying that my wife doesn't understand is where you have to separate the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got to separate those things out it, because, um, again, there is no excuse for a what I consider morally repugnant uh, things. For instance, uh, most people would consider that to be yeah. yeah. So there's no excuse for that, but at the same time, you can separate that chaff mm-hmm. out from the wheat, which is the actual principles and the foundation of which was laid uh, done done mostly by Thomas Jefferson, the actual author of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, uh, along with his other fellow founders. And so that's what I think needs to be done. Again, I I don't really care about statues, so to speak, but I I would like the whole story told as well. And so I don't think they're wrong in that, that we need yeah. to tell the whole story. Like, hey... You think they're going to tell the whole story, though? No, that's the problem. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's the actual problem, is that um, in, in ways he can be regarded as um, a great... A philosopher and founding father, as well as someone who participated in something that we should have never participated in. Yeah. So that's, that's the whole story that needs to be told. All right, moving on so we can get on to some other stuff here. From feed.org, Mr. Brad Palumbo. Look up Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo. Thanks for this article, Brad. Even though I didn't ask, I know that you're okay with it. States spent at least $90 million on vaccine lotteries. And studies show that they accomplished nothing. Hmm. All right. So we, we talked about the vaccine lotteries and we were kind to the idea of the vaccine lotteries that it was actually a pretty good idea. Better than mandates. Show is, I mean, I guess you are still, you know, taking money that was taken from people against their will and their threat of death uh, to give out to people. So I don't know if there's better than mandates, but it could be equally bad. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I, I just, maybe they didn't work. In fact, according to the, uh, the science from this recent study, <laughs> studies are a dime a dozen nowadays, but this one uh, seems like it's probably right. Government bureaucrats aren't exactly known for spending taxpayer money wisely. Sadly, the pandemic has proven no exception, with new studies showing that local governments wasted millions on vaccine lotteries that accomplished nothing. Ohio implemented a Vax-A-Million initiative where it drew weekly lotteries for a million-dollar prize among those who got the vaccine. Similar programs have cropped up around the country, such as Vax Cash in Maryland and Vax and Scratch 
in New York. Yeah, the best. They come up with the best. Vax and Scratch. In all states. Get your Vax and Scratch here. <laughs> vax and Scratch here. Come get your Vax and Scratch and you get a key to the city. In all <laughs> states have spent at least $90 million, likely more, on these kinds of vaccine lottery efforts. And did those actually work? The answer from a new study published in JAMA Health Forum is a resounding no. Hey, I'd like a Coke. I'd like a Coke and a vaccine scratch, please. Researchers examined the 19 states with the vaccine lottery schemes and compared them to states that did not enact such programs. The authors conclude that the impact these lotteries had on increasing vaccination rates was very small in magnitude and statistically indistinguishable from zero. So... It, it is tough basically to, zero. Yeah, I, I would agree that they probably didn't do anything. I'd say the people, the people that are holding out right now, like either have a principled stance against being told to do something like moi or like people who think that Bill Gates is trying to control the world's population. Like all you fine people in the group right now. <laughs> 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 Just exactly. kidding. And so did it actually get people like me to the side that they were going to get a vaccine for the chance of winning the lottery? I don't I don't play the lottery. So, no, I would rather put a dollar in and have a chance to win some money than get the vaccine. <laughs> right. You know? So anyway, um, was this a no purchase necessary uh, type of Yeah, You just thing? get the vax. Yeah. No yeah. money. No money down. <laughs> a lot of money could come to you. And so uh, he makes a good point in here about how the, the government typically wastes a lot of money. I would recommend going to our show notes and clicking on this article and then going and reading it at fee.org and listening to Brad's podcast as well. So anyway, that's something. Yeah, that's something. That is something. Although if I would have won, it would be nice. That would be nice. And I would. Yeah, I would use it for my future taxes. I'd have a shirt that said, I played the lottery and all I got was this stupid vaccine. <laughs> I guess you do get a key to the city, though. Yeah. That's, that's pretty thing. good. Yeah. In, your in con- New York, at consolation least. Consolation prize. New York, vax and scratch. <laughs> that doesn't even sound good. Like, what is what is the scratch part? I don't get that part. Maybe that's the way they did their lottery. Like, you scratch, like, you get the vaccine, they give you a oh, scratch they give off. You a vax. Give you, I have, they I give have you a no scratch idea. off card? I have no idea. All right, oh. I'm going to skip down to this one we've had in the stack for a little bit. Oh, you here. want to do the Netflix thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we don't have much time left. So uh, we talked about this a little bit the other day, last week sometime, but I wanted to go through this article because it's quite uh, hysterical, in my opinion. And so this is from USA Today, I believe in an, uh, probably an opinion piece, but it's uh, titled Netflix Netflix's Support of Dave Chappelle is setting a dangerous precedent. Dangerous. Here's why. By the way, you guys need to go see it because it's hilarious. It's, one, it's hilarious, and two, it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's, and he says, never mind. Go watch it first. <laughs> okay? So Netflix purports to be a beacon for inclusion in front of and behind the camera, but growing controversy over Dave Chappelle's latest stand-up special, The Closer, proves it has much further to go. Mm. Now, remember, guys, inclusion means aligning with my ideals. Yeah. That's what inclusion means. Okay. You have to have a certain set of ideals where nothing matters. Okay. As long as you align with that, you can't allow people, you're included. You can't allow people to do something dangerous. Exactly. Like this. 
In Closer, released last week, Chappelle reacted to criticism. He was punching down when making jokes about the trans community. He doubled down and expressed solidarity with Harry Potter's with Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling, who drew backlash. Listen to this, folks. J.K. Rowling, who drew backlash after conflating sex with gender and defending ideas, suggesting that changing one's biological sex was a threat to her own gender identity. Now, J.K. Rowling came out and was dubbed a uh, TERF, mm-hmm. which means trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Radical feminist. Uh, so she's, now that I watch Dave Chappelle's thing, yes. I know what that means. So I've she's never heard a of it she's a radical feminist who excludes trans women, <laughs> uh, which are men that became women, by yeah. the way. And and also, I want to preface this with it: you can be trans if you want to. I, I literally no, don't care. I don't care whatsoever. You can choose a gender if you want to, but there is a um, a sex. Your biological sex does also have a gender attached to it. I agree with uh, okay. what Joe just said. And, the, and I, can, I can listen to Dave's special and hear him just talk the whole time about how everyone's got it wrong. He's actually mad at white people. Yeah. You know? yes. And I can laugh my ass off while he's saying that. And that's what he says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he says, he says my, the whole time, uh, my problem's always been with white people. <laughs> <laughs> um. And that, you know, the argument that he makes is that, um, you know, his, his people, the black community was making their way, you know, they were finally getting some equal rights. And then all of a sudden, uh, white people who be, who are transgendered or part of another minority community, so to speak, can supersede their position. He's mad about the fractionation of the, He's, yes, this oppressed is, a, this, is a, this is an oppressed fractionation syndrome mm-hmm. that's what this is so he's anti-frax <laughs> but the the funniest part about this right here is that jk rowling she drew backlash for conflating sex with gender as this somehow thinking as we have for thousands of years mm-hmm. and having certain body parts usually in your genitalia region having uh, having certain body parts uh is uh somehow that's uh, what do you, what do you call that? A mis a misnomer? I don't know. It somehow goes against science. I just okay. I don't really care what anyone thinks about this stuff at all, as long as they don't hurt people or take their stuff, right? Or force them to say words that they don't want to say. Yes, you know? just don't force anyone to do anything. So uh, going on down here, it says, "Do words directly cause harm?" According to the study by American Academy of Pediatrics, on-screen violence causes increased aggressive thoughts and behavior as well as decreased empathy in viewers. The same could be said of hate speech, whether it's by politicians, celebrities, or people you know. When people hear other people saying things that are hateful for whatever reason and whatever group it's aimed at, it gives them permission basically to think that's true and to imitate that kind of speech. Oh, no. Mm. There's a long history of homophobia and acceptance of racism in the black community, be it in our churches and in our satire. What we're ultimately doing is under the guise of humor, making it seem like it's okay or celebrated or worse, that it's funny and there's nothing funny about it. And so with this take, folks, you can't joke about anything. Actually, you can't watch anything. It says on-screen violence causes increasing aggressive thoughts and it it, uh, gives permission. So... We can only do what 
uh, I don't know, I guess this team of people needs to sit around and think some stuff up about what people can actually watch. Can you buy a ticket and like go to the show since it's not on screen? <laughs> I don't know. It's, I it's li- like live. <laughs> I guess that would be okay. I mean, yeah, not- that's just hate speech in person. That's almost worse. You know, <laughs> you're way more complicit when that's happening. Mm-hmm. But I mean, why are they stopping at hate speech? Uh, that what they call hate speech, which means they did not watch the, the yeah. special. You know, why and are they stopping there? You're exactly right when you talk about the fractionation, uh, the oppressive fractionation syndrome is what we're going to call it. That's the term we're going to... People are coining terms these days and phrases. Well, that's ours. People just got OFS, the, man. The, the OFS. Mm-hmm. Oppressive fractionation. Because uh, because what Chappelle argues in his special is that the the LGBTQ LMNOP community is punching down on his people. Mm-hmm. He's not punching down on them because he's not viewing himself as more elevated, but they are viewing themselves as more elevated than, than his oppressive class. So, to, so him, he, to him, white people who are trans are punching down on him and his people. Yeah. So to him, he's still talking from the standpoint of being a victim to, to someone else. So he should be able to say those things because he looks at them as the oppressive class over them. Which is why it's okay for him to say whatever he wants about white people, and no one's upset about that, because obviously he's positioned as a victim class as uh, compared to white people, so he can say whatever he wants. But in this case, in the in the woke oppression pyramid, um, he is, I think, technically the oppressor over the trans community, because that's the way it divides out. Mm-hmm. But he's trying to say that they are still an oppressor over him, so he can still say whatever he wants. And we're just arguing about who's the most oppressed, who's the who's the oppressor, who's the oppressed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Fight to the fight to the death. And that's the problem with this narrative, with this um, equity narrative, so to speak. And what we should be doing is we should be judging each person by their individuality and their character. Mm-hmm. That's the actual smallest group there is. Or just not judge anyone. You know, just leave me alone. Let me go live in the woods. Uh, Well, I mean, judge, (laughs) uh, judge might be the wrong word. What I mean is uh, perceive, perceive someone by, by the content of their character and not the color of their skin or the uh, gender they decide they want to be. Yeah. Okay. Because people are people, no matter how small. (laughs) Can I spend two minutes on this article real quick? Yes. I'm just going to run through it really fast because this was dumb. Minutes. This was dumb. I'm starting to clock right now. So this is from The Lancet, by the way. A new study. Thanks to my wife for telling me about this. The durability of immunity against reinfection by SARS-CoV-2. A comparative evolutionary study. So The Lancet, widely respected medical journal, does this study uh, about the durability of the immunity against reinfection, whatever is your natural immunity. Now, to preface the way they did this, they did not actually study people's immunity. And what they did was they looked at six comparable viruses and looked at what their immunity was and projected what the likely immunity to SARS-CoV-2 would be. This was not actually done from studying anyone. But anyway, they come out with SARS-CoV-2 to have a, uh, an immunity that would... So here's how they say, the, we obtained antibody data for six human in, infectin reinfection by SARS-CoV-2 under endemic conditions would likely occur between three months and 5.1 years after peak antibody response with a median of 16 months. 
So they're saying anywhere between three months and five years for SARS-CoV-2 with a median of 16 months. So they're saying that's when reinfection could occur when it comes to that. Now, that sounds fine. I think we all know that this is not a, I don't think this is going to be a lifelong lasting immunity. We don't have lifelong immunity to the common cold. We don't have it to the flu. We don't have it to any of these things. We're mm-hmm. simply saying, could you check my immunity before you fire me and put me out on the street? Like that's, that's all really anyone is saying. Or don't treat me like someone who's trying to kill people because I might have the same immunity, anybody level that you do. That's really what the point that people are trying to make. Now, you take this study where they say that infection is likely to occur between that time. And you can you convert this if you're someone on the left to Yale.edu writing articles saying for the unvaccinated reinfection by SARS-CoV-2 is likely study finds for unvaccinated reinfection by SARS-CoV-2 is likely. And that's what the headline is. All right. for, for unvaccinated for for unvaccinated it's for it's everyone likely. for everyone that's what the study says not just the unvaccinated yeah and so they talk about the timeline but you have to realize from the study one they weren't studying they weren't even studying like people's actual antibodies what they were saying was if people are going to get reinfected it is likely to happen between three months and five years and the medium range would be 16 months so if they're going to get reinfected it's likely that it will be between this time. And if you wanted to write a slanted article about that, you say for unvaccinated reinfection by COVID is likely. So we need to write another one that says for vaccinated reinfection by SARS-CoV-2 is likely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But that wasn't even, they, they went through in the study because I read the whole study today. I wanted to see what they were talking about. They said they're not talking about the actual risk percentages for people getting it. In fact, at the end of it, they say for an individual, such a reinfection is extremely unlikely. This is from the study, by the way. For an individual, such a reinfection is extremely unlikely. And so then Yale.edu takes the study and says for unvaccinated reinfection by SARS-CoV-2 is likely. From the study. Unlikely, likely. They mean the same thing. Yeah, yeah, totally fine. Okay, anyway. I think we got to go. All right, folks. Well, if you enjoyed today's show, which I know you did, then please, like I said, smash that follow button. Hit us up on YouTube. Go find us on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button, the little bell. That'll get you every time we post a new video. If you want to see Nate's hat, you got that's where you got to go to mm-hmm. see it if you're not part of the live group, uh, which you can sign up for the live group and watch it live. Because if Nate decided to take his hat off for the show, but had it on for the pre-show, then you would have seen it. There, that's goodmorningliberty.locals.com. If you all do all those things, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. We would appreciate it. And I uh, hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Liberty.